Hello and thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. In today's session, we are looking at the third lesson in our parent seminar. This is by David Davis, and he's talking about the authentic parent. How can we as parents be authentic? Well, we're going to find out today as we go through this lesson with David Davis. Get out your notebooks. I hope you enjoy this lesson. Thanks again for joining us. And she's at a women's conference at our church today, so she wasn't able to come with me. Um, that's kind of the bad part about it. Uh, we have six kids, and unlike Lance, he described his kids, and I wrote them down in my book, I think beautiful and wonderful. Um, I have six kids who are desperately wicked <laughs> and in need of the gospel. Okay? That's what I had. Um, the best thing about it is all six of them have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the, the blessing. Uh, we did homeschool all of our kids from birth to, well, I'm still teaching some of them stuff now. Um, so Jacqueline is my oldest, and she was the reason those strong-willed books were ever written, I believe. Amen. And uh, she is currently an intern coordinator at uh, Children's Bible Ministry. And she's in right out of Knoxville, Tennessee. So that's what she's doing, basically a missionary training young kids that get out of high school and they can go through a year-long internship to see if they want to be in the ministry and things like that. And they do a lot of camping uh, ministry. Uh, Hunter is my next oldest, and this was, picture was before he actually met Haley. That's why he looks so... Whatever. <laughs> there. Uh, really, the best thing—the pitiful. The best thing about Hunter is he married my daughter, Haley. So that's that's what I can say about that. Um, Caleb, Caleb is our my third child. He was nicknamed the what? Angel child. Angel child. Okay. Um, but he's currently married. Uh, they just had their first child. Um, just recently, December, I think, maybe, or something. And some of you might have met him because he goes like when Hunter takes the kids to the, the farm for a youth thing. Caleb works with our youth at our church, and they kind of meet out there and do the same thing. So some of you might have met him. Garrett's my next boy. Um, he was married last year. His wife left him, so he, he had the storms of life going on. Um, but he's strong and he's crawling through it didn't say emotional <laughs> that's later on I will <clears throat> Anna is graduating from college this year um, with a linguistics degree and she has a desire to go where I, I can't believe it that there's languages that people speak that don't have the written word still today and so that's her desire is to be able to help translate the Bible into languages that don't have them. Katie's the baby and uh, she's actually going through an intern program ship at CBM she's currently in South Alabama, close to Florida, down, way down there by the coast, and that's where she's serving at a camp right now. Um, 
as a parent, as all of you are, um, we desperately need God's wisdom in order to know how to parent. I want to read James chapter 1 before we get started. You all know this verse. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, parenting, I mean, that's an everyday occurrence when we face trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. We go through the trials of parenting. First thing we need to do is we need to ask God for wisdom. And before we get started in our study, I just think we should do that right now. So pray with me real quick. Father in heaven, we do uh, call upon you because you are all-knowing, all-powerful. And Father, we admit and confess that we need uh, your wisdom, uh, wisdom from above, in order to face the trials that we go through uh, in raising our children. So Father, we just pray uh, as a group of parents that you would bless us with that wisdom. Help us to believe your word when it says that you will give it to us <clears throat> and help us to ask expectantly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Paul Tripp, many of you have heard of him, but he has this <coughs> quote that I have. Really, it's not a quote, it's just a story. Paul says, I encountered this view of hopelessness of the teen years recently at a marriage conference. It had been a great weekend all in all. The teaching had been engaging, convicting, and encouraging. The food and accommodations had been superb. The conference had been held at a beautiful seaside location. Near the end of the weekend, I was looking out at the sun glistening off the waters of the bay when I noticed a couple sitting nearby. They looked very unhappy. I was curious, so I asked them if they had enjoyed the weekend. Everything had been great, they replied. I commented that they didn't look very happy. The woman responded, we have two teenagers and we're dreading going home. We wish this weekend would last forever. You just have to expect your teenagers to be rebellious. All of us were, the husband added. You just have to write it out. Besides, she moaned, you can't argue with hormones. I, Paul Tripp, walked away impressed that something was fundamentally wrong with the way we think about this time in a child's life. You know what, I forgot something over here in my notebook. Something I want to read. Um, this next piece I'm going to read is a letter that a pastor received, and he he calls it the saddest letter um, he ever read. It says, "Dear Pastor Smith, I was I'm a junior at a well-known Christian college. I grew up in a highly respected churches." went to excellent Christian schools. My father had been a Christian worker since I was, before I was born. One would think my testimony would go something like this. I was saved when I was about five, and I had dedicated my life to the God, and I have been growing and serving Him ever since, and I'm now studying to serve Him in full-time ministry. 
But that isn't my story. Actually, though I did make a profession of faith when I was very young, I didn't get saved until I was 17. Since I was 12 and now on into my college years, I have struggled with the serious issues. I found out when I went to college that I'm not the only good kid who has struggled with all, with all these or is still struggling with some serious stuff. We struggle with issues like eating disorders, depression, suicide, cutting, pornography, gender identity, homosexuality, drugs, drinking, immorality, the list could go on. We listen to wild music, we idolize pulp culture heroes, we watch dirty sitcoms. We have no discrimination in our entertainment, our dress, or any aspect of our lifestyle. Obviously, I'm generalizing our problem. You would not find that every young Christian person from a conservative background struggles with all these issues. And praise God, some of us don't struggle with any of them. My point is that my my point is that the problem that is supposed to be bad kids' problems belongs to us. Unfortunately, our parents and youth workers don't know that we struggle with these things, and they don't know what to do when they find out. Quite frankly, I believe that if you grab the average Christian school teacher or youth worker and ask them what would you do if you found out that one of your kids you work with was homosexual, they wouldn't know what to say. My point is not simply that we don't know what we, what we struggle with or how to deal with it. I think that is pretty, I think there is pretty simple reason why good kids struggle with serious stuff and that there is a solution. At the risk of being blunt, I'm going to be blunt. Our parents did not spend time teaching us to love God. Our parents put us into Sunday school since K-4. Our parents took us to church every time the doors were open. They sent us to every youth activity. They made sure that we went to a good Christian school and college. They had us sing in the choir, help in the nursery, be ushers, and go soul winning. We did teen devotionals and prayed over every meal. We did everything right, and they made sure, to, sure that we did. But they forgot about our hearts. They forgot that the Bible never commanded the church alone to teach children about God and his ways. That responsibility was laid first at our Father's feet. Unfortunately, our fathers don't have time for us. They put us where we are surrounded by the Bible, but they didn't take time to show that God was important enough to them to tell us personally about him. So to us, Christianity has become a religion of externals. Do all the right stuff, and you're a good Christian. So some of us walk away from church. Some of us stay in church and just fill a pew. pew. Many of us struggle with the same stuff that our parents have no, but our parents have no idea we struggle with. I think these problems stem from first, our detachment from our parents, and second, from a misunderstanding about the essence of Christianity, a relationship and not a list of rules. I worry that many young people like me are not even saved because of their misunderstanding about Christianity. Parenting is very hard. Very hard. And we fail over and over and over again. 
we're not consistent like we should be, we're not engaging like we should be, and we just know we mess up. I want to remind you of Proverbs 24, verse 16. It says, For the righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. If you're like me, when you mess up, you can get kind of hard on yourself, beat yourself down. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, I would like to read. Not only that I obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly, heavenwardly in Christ Jesus. Now I just want us to think about that concept a little bit as I go through what I'm going to share today. Because what I'm going to share today, we're all going to, we all could look at ourselves and say, failure. Okay? Because we all are. By the grace of God, we can begin to press forward and press on towards the type of parent that we really want to be. What are some reasons we struggle as parents? Uh, we get too busy really having the wrong priorities in life. Uh, we get intimidated. We're not sure we know what to do. I remember with the first kid, I didn't know have a clue what I was doing. And by the sixth kid, I didn't really care. No, <laughs> But we get intimidated because we don't really think we know what we're doing, okay? We don't want to swallow our pride when we do fail. We don't want to admit it to either our wife, ourselves, to God, and especially not to our children. Uh, we focus on external behaviors. We just want everything to look right. Okay, especially if JB's around. Just want it to look good. Okay. And the last one is we just get tired and weary. I mean, that's a big one. We just get worn out. And that's one of the reasons we're not consistent a lot of times. If you got a copy of the scriptures, I want you to open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 127. And whoever made the cookies. Uh, Lance told me they had Psalm 127 verse 4 on one of these. That's kind of nice. I got one over to eat on my way home today. <laughs> 127. Um, and I've got, on the screen, I've got new uh, the Holman's version, so I'm going to read it from that because it'll match. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. As parents, it says that when we have children, we have a quiver full of them. And in reality, it talks about having 
a quiver full of arrows. But in reality, kids are like sticks. So what does it take for us to have a quiver full of arrows instead of a quiver full of sticks? Okay? It takes several things. First, it takes time, patience, and wisdom. Those three things, time, patience, and wisdom. We know that our quiver is full of these things. We know it's a blessing. First of all, these children are a blessing from God. And we need God's grace. Now, how many of you have heard uh, JB preach for over uh, maybe 50 sermons? Most of you heard him? Okay. Does JB have a definition that you've heard over and over and over of grace? What is it? Unmerited favor, okay? Unmerited favor. I love that, okay? Um, grace is also, for me, I like the definition of God gives me what I don't deserve. Okay, that's an unmerited favor. Another definition I like is grace is the power of God to do what he calls me to do. Again, that's an unmerited favor. That power to do what he calls me to do. We need that when we're trying to turn this into this. We need God's grace. We need his power to do it. But it takes time. It takes patience. It takes energy. Now, one, one godly man told me of a uh, definition of wisdom is skillful living. And of course, we know that there's two types of wisdom. There's wisdom of the world, and you can be skillful living in the world by its standards and by its philosophies. And there's wisdom from God, and you can be skillful in living with that wisdom as well. As parents, we need godly wisdom. In James chapter 3, we're going to look at pretty soon, it talks about those two types of wisdom, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. But we need this wisdom in order to train our children into adulthood and maturity. Not just physical maturity, okay, but spiritual maturity. So that they will walk close to the Lord from the time that they put their faith in Him to the time when they begin making decisions on their own. Okay, And those decisions they make on their own, we need to be training them to make them from godly wisdom which is found in the Word of God. So that's, that's really our goal in being an authentic parent. So let's think about authority. The definition I'd like for us to use on biblical parenting authority is the life and power of Christ Jesus flowing through you for the benefit of those underneath you. So it's the power in the life of Jesus Christ coming through me to my kids so that it benefits them. Okay? Authority in our day and time can have a bad um, connotation. I think it's uh, negatively abuse, controlling, but we need a good biblical understanding of what parental authority really is. And it comes from Jesus Christ, and it comes from the, 
him flowing through us. There's three types of parental authority I want us to look at real quickly. And you've probably heard of these in some form or another. The first one is the passive parent or the child-centered parent. This parent gives authority to the kid. Okay, and I sell mattresses to Nebraska Furniture Mart. And so often I'm on the, I'm on the floor and I'm out there with the mattresses and this, this happened last week in Kansas City. A young mom was there, she had a six-year-old or a five-year-old kid and she was just letting the kid decide which $300, $400 mattress that she wanted. I mean, it was all about the kid. Okay, the kid makes those decisions, okay? Um, a passive parent is going to be that parent that leaves the kid to himself, leaves the kid to their room or in their room by themselves, on their devices by themselves, okay, uh, with their friends by themselves. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, the rod of correction <coughs> imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. The passive parent says, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, and really what they're saying is the child's an intrusion on my life, because my life is what is important. What I want is important. That's the passive parent or the child-centered parent. The next one is the oppressive parent or the parent-centered parent. This parent's on a power trip. This is carnal authority, which can be overbearing, demanding, loud, have a stern force. This parent lives in, because I said so. Now, I can be very loud, I can be very stern, I can be very overbearing. Um, so you know which one I have a battle against here. Uh, matter of fact, I can prove the point of which one I have a, that I battle with a story about Hunter that my wife reminds me of. So when Hunter was little, Hunter wanted to have 10 kids. And my wife says, or his mom, well, it's my wife, yeah. She says, why, why do you want to have 10 kids? So I can have 10 people I can boss around. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking, where'd he get that at? <laughs> so this parent, the oppressive parent or the parent-centered parent, um, they manage behavior. And that really breeds resentment or rebellion in the heart. This parent just wants to keep everything looking good. Everything needs to look good. Um, this parent cares about having control. And th there's so many lessons. We could just take that and go for a long time, but we're not going to. Um, this parent tries to manage everyone in order to keep the peace. Now, a peacekeeper is good. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus on the Sermon Mount said, Blessed are the... Peacekeeper, different type of peacekeepers here. Okay, that peacekeeper is introducing people to the Prince of Peace, who really gives peace. This person just wants everything to go peacefully, so that my world is not interrupted. 
truly a life of meism, because that's what's important, what I want as a parent. The third one is the one we want to talk about today is actually a, the authentic parent or the God-centered parent. This parent uh, seeks to live like Jesus. This parent really understands that, that definition of biblical authority, where it's the life and power of Jesus Christ flowing through me to benefit those under my care. This parent is strong in truth, but balanced in mercy. So I gave you a definition of grace that I like, God giving me what I um, don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. Now let's think about it not from God, but from me giving other people mercy. The definition should be me not giving you what I think you deserve. Because most of the time my thoughts aren't even accurate. Okay? So it's maybe the guy that, that pulls off in front of me when I'm driving down the road and almost cuts me off. I know what he deserves. I, I do. <laughs> and my wife reminds me I'm not the one to teach me. But anyway, what do we do? But I, I think I know what he deserves. Mercy is me not giving him what I think he deserves. So this, this authentic parent is strong in truth, but balanced in mercy. It is parenting that leads the right direction, sets the right boundaries, and expresses the right care. It's Ephesians 6, 4, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's what this authentic parent does. So the question we have to ask is, which parent are you? Or more importantly, maybe, which parent do you tend to be? What is your parenting style? Is it the passive parent where you leave your teenager mostly to themselves, their rooms, their devices, their own friends? Is it the oppressive parent not allowing or even training your teenagers to think for themselves and what you create as a rule follower? Or is it the authentic parent where you remind your teenager of how Jesus would live, you're Christ-like, you're setting boundaries for yourselves and setting an example for them to follow. Rabbit trail real quick. Hunter talked about a young kid at camp that was frustrated because his parents were making rules. If the young kid saw his parents having boundaries for himself, then teaching a kid to have boundaries for themselves is, is, is easier. Your kids need to know the boundaries you have set for yourself. I have boundaries. I, I try to teach my kids some of those boundaries. So let's look at nine different qualities of an authentic parent. Um, these titles came from Gary Schmidt's book, Passionate Parenting, um, but most of the bad examples come from me that I'll share. Um, first of all, an authentic parent will provide order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. The context is the church, but the application can be the home. Okay, things to be, need to be done in an orderly way. Disorder leads to uh, chaos. Order leads to calm. 
So think about your home life over a, a period of a week. Is there a lot of disorder? And if so, are there things that we can change in order to bring more calm or more order? James chapter 3. I want you to open your copy of the scriptures to James chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 13. Because here we can see the root of chaos. James chapter 3. Verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. So when I meditate on this scripture, um, the Lord says, David, here's the easy way to start um, trying to find order, is look at that word selfish ambition and examine your life and see because of this disorder, this chaos we have, is it coming because of my own selfish ambitions? Is it because of something that I'm wanting? Now, a lot of times I sing uh, Psalm 23 verse in the shower. Or uh, what does Psalm 23 say? First couple lines. Lord is my, I shall not want. That's a pretty hard place to get past if you think you're going to meditate that on in a day. I shall not want today. Why should we not want? Because he's a good shepherd and he's going to provide the things that we need. But this authentic parent's going to provide order. And a good way to do that is start trying to get rid of that selfish ambition. The way you do that is confess it to God and ask him to help you. Okay, the second thing that we need is to be meek. And that is power under control. Jesus himself was meek. It says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself. Okay? So he was a meek man. He was a humble man. But he also cleared out the temple. Now I was thinking about that when you were talking about our kids being a temple. Why did Jesus clear out the temple? Because there was sin. Things going on. So there's a lot of times, fathers especially and mothers... Fathers especially, there's a lot of times in your kid's life you need to do some temple cleaning. Okay, when that sin is there. Okay, it's got to be called out in a godly fashion. That's side trail, sorry. Uh, parents must be humble. Moses was stated the meekest man alive. But Moses was also a great leader. So it's a lot of times we think if I, if I have to be meek, I I'm not, can't be a good leader. That's wrong. Great leaders are meek people. Number three, it says uh, an authentic parent will provide a protective environment. Fathers, you should think of yourself as the, as the shepherd of the family. Okay, and what's one of the roles of a shepherd? Is he protects the flock from danger. So I ask you, what are you doing, fathers, to protect your family from the influences of the world? What are you doing to actually protect your family from the influences of the world? That is a huge responsibility. 
a big one. And we can be intimidated because we really don't even know what to do. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? Ask God for wisdom. Okay? Ask God for wisdom. You know, what type of, a simple question is, what type of entertainment do you allow in your homes? Okay? What type of entertainment do you allow in your homes? So, authentic parent will provide order. They're meek. They provide a protective environment. The fourth one is they model the right behavior. Live the way you want your children to live. And I, I talk to a lot of men's because I'm getting older and maybe they come and ask me questions all the time. But, you know, one guy is a chewer, a dipper, dips snuff. He says, David, man, I don't want my kids to chew. I said, dude, you better give it up. <laughs> you better give it up. I mean, they want to imitate. We're talking about they want to imitate. And you, you, you had a statement that says, we need, to be, we need to live a way that's worthy of imitating. But it don't matter how we live, they're going to imitate. Okay? My father, he's 80 uh, tomorrow. This is his birthday, 80th birthday tomorrow. It's Tuesday. Or Tuesday. We're having, we're having a party. We're having a party tomorrow. We're having a, we're having a, we're having a party tomorrow. See, 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 see why I love her? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, back in his day, he was he was grown up in uh, Arkansas in the hills. They smoked everything they get their hands on. I mean, he, it didn't matter what it was. If they could figure out how to smoke it, they smoked it. Okay. But my sister was older than me, and when he had he had my uh, sister, he quit smoking. And, and I've heard him say, and I asked him yesterday, he's 80, you know, he said, Dad, I, David, I don't remember that, why I quit smoking. He said, probably because it's 25 cents a pack and I couldn't afford it. <laughs> but I, I do remember him talking years and years ago that he didn't want his kids to do that, so he, he gave it up, okay? We need to model the right behavior, not just on the things we don't do, but the things that we do. They need to see us in repentance and confession, um, forgiveness. Okay, they need to see us in accountability. Okay, and holding other men accountable and them us. They need to they need to see that stuff as well. Um, I can remember when I was a teenager, hearing parents talk, and they would say, "Boy, that's a great movie," but I sure wouldn't want my kids to watch it. And as a teenager, I'm thinking, well, why are you watching it if you don't want them to watch it? And I mean, that's stuck with I'm, I'm 54 years old, and that's stuck with me to this day. I'm like, that's not, that's not parenting. That's not leadership. Okay, that's hypocrisy is what that is. An authentic parent will say, watch me. I expect you to live a certain way, and you'll see it in me. And that's kind of scary to say, isn't it? We don't say it in a prideful way, we say it in a humble way because we know we mess up, okay? The fifth one is that an authentic parent is a parent who nurtures right behavior. Now, carnal parenting, they demand right behavior and when failure occur, occurs, they just get mad. 
Because the carnal parent is living out of a meism. And my life is now messed up because this kid screwed up. And now I'm angry. Okay? That's carnal parenting. Spiritual parenting is you do it, you teach it, you expect it, and you reward it. You do it, you teach it, you expect it, and you reward it. Okay, and then if they fail, there's discipline. That's number seven that we'll talk about. How many of you ever went to a church that sold uh, some songs out of the old hymn books? Okay, there's a song in, out of the old hymn books that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Okay, you all know what an Ebenezer is. Okay, it's an altar. They, they had a victory. He said, build this altar called Ebenezer. Why? So that every time you brought your family by, you would tell them of the story of how God delivered them. Okay? We need to be reminded of Ebenezer's in our life. And when we say, you teach it, that's what I'm talking about, teaching. You need to teach your kids what God's done for you. And where I, where I failed is I told them once. And I forgot to tell them over and over and over again. And where I failed is, you saw all my kids up here. I told Hunter and Jacqueline because they were the oldest. And the time Katie come around, I just thought I told everybody this. Katie don't have a clue. <laughs> you know, I told you guys this. No, you never told me that. Okay. So we do it and we teach it. We don't just teach it once. Okay. We got to go over it and over it. And here's something that I'm going to tell them about right now. We're going to, I'm, I'm, we're going to have a Thanksgiving, um, trip with my kids and my parents and my wife's parents. And what, what's a, what a blessing we have is my wife's parents and my parents are best friends. So the in-laws get along. Okay. But anyway, we're going to go somewhere and have a Thanksgiving week. And I've been thinking about that week. This is the intentionalness that we need to have as parenting. My kids are old, but with this point, I want to have each of, my, each of the grandparents and me and my wife take time in the evening after the grandkids go to bed and share a story, an Ebenezer, of a work of God in their life. Why is that important? Because I, I want the kids, the younger people, to hear these stories and to be reminded of these stories of what God is doing in their life and what God did in their life. And it just builds faith. It builds faith. So... Do it, teach it, expect it, reward it. If failure occurs, we have to discipline biblically, and we'll talk about that in number seven. So also in nurturing right behavior, I think it's important to be gospel-minded. And this goes to what uh, Lance was saying earlier about it's while we're doing life, like Deuteronomy talks about. When they're walking, when they're playing, when they're sleeping, whatever we're doing, we need to be teaching giving the gospel, and teaching biblical principles all the time, okay? My wife was great at that in, in discipline. She'd always talk about the gospel. This is why you need, you need Jesus, because you're not perfect, okay, at bringing in the gospel. Um, another time of discipline, this is Hunter and Jacqueline, my two oldest. And they, were, they got in trouble together. 
Typically, I always think it's wise to discipline the kid separate. That takes time. It takes energy. It's a whole lot easier just to whack them and tell them what's wrong in front of everybody. Okay? Be done with it. Okay, that's meism. Okay? But time and energy is when you take them away from everybody and you can instruct and you can tell them exactly what they've done wrong and explain it. I, I love for my kids to get to the point where they knew what they did wrong and they knew they needed the discipline. That didn't happen all the time. Okay, there was sometimes it was like, wow, 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 wow. Okay, but what I like is when I could get them to bend over. Okay, and this time Hunter and Jacqueline, they got in trouble at the same time, probably disrespect the mom or so, I don't know. But they were, I said, okay. I explained it all to them and I said, bend over. And they, they, they were both going to receive the discipline. Okay, and they were bend over on the couch and I used a little leather whacker, okay? And I, I was on my knees and they're bending over. Have you ever been anticipating the spank from your dad? It's not a very good anticipation, okay? And as they're, as they're sitting there, I let them sit there about 30 seconds. I never hit them. I never spanked them. And I told them to stand up and look at me. And I explained to him mercy. You, you deserve the spanking. You realize that they bent over, they wanted it, okay? And I didn't give it to them, and I explained mercy, and then I explained that's the way God is with us, okay? He doesn't give us what you deserve. So that's just one example of how we teach in life, okay? We, we want to nurture right behavior. My son Garrett, the one whose wife left in this last year, um, hard worker, energetic. I mean, he was married early, had a house, everything, you know. But at some age, he already had a job, so he, I don't know, maybe he was 11 or 12 or something, but we were on a vacation in Branson, and he saw this bicycle. I mean, it's one of these little Har these Harley-type bicycles that you ride. You know, I don't know if they even make them anymore. It was a low rider, and he bought this bicycle with his own money, okay? So we're home weeks later, and this... He is, him and his sisters are fighting all the time about this bicycle, okay? And I've had it up to there, okay? And so I knew I need, I need to teach spiritual truths here. So it's Mark, it's uh, Mark 5, 29, and this is the David Garrett version, okay? Mark 29, 5, 29 says, if your new bike causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. That's the verse talking about your eye, right? Pluck it out. Now you may think this is kind of harsh, but I didn't force this. But I, we sat down in a non-conflict time. It wasn't, the, it wasn't five seconds after him and the sisters had been biting and biting and biting. This was non-conflict time. After all that's over, maybe even a day later. But I know this is going on, and i got to teach through it. So I sit down, we go over this verse, and I say, what's more important? That Harley-Davidson bicycle that you bought with your own money, or what, it's, what this is causing you to do in sinning with your sisters? He got up, took the bicycle, and put it out in the dumpster. That's just a teaching 
moment. I was impressed by it because he proved to him what was more important. Okay? Answering prayers as we're nurturing right behavior. Um, my wife was great at this. When she lost something, maybe that's why she was great at it. But when she lost something, she'd get everybody to pray about it. All the kids, everybody pray about it. Okay? It may be her whatever brush, you know what? I mean, she lost everything. Okay? Uh, but when they found it, they thank God for it. It's answer prayer. And it teaches the kids that that's, that's cool. I can remember I had an old Jeep, and the kids, you know, my, we have four young kids pretty much all together, and my wife could take any and every break I could ever give her, right? And so I would load the kids up in the Jeep, take the top and doors off, and we'd go for a Jeep ride for an hour or whatever. Get them out of the house. My wife has some sanity for a little bit, okay? And one day we're out 30, 40 miles away, and the boy, Kansas thunderstorm rolls in, okay? And I, I pulled over on the side of the road, and I said, we need to pray that we can get home before it rains. And I actually had Hunter, man, I don't even remember this stuff. I actually had Hunter say the prayer, and the other three kids there. And we got home before it rained, and you know how excited the kids were that God answered Hunter's prayer? You know how excited the dad was? <laughs> I mean, it, it was amazing to see how the kids just get excited about God working in their lives. So we, we need to nurture um, the right behavior. Number six is um, part of being an authentic parent is we need to uh, be motivated by what is right for the child. Our kids see right through our motives. Okay, we got to just know that. Our kids see right through our motives. Dad's, dad yells from the, from the recliner, Hey, shut up in there, I'm trying to watch the game. Well, that expresses power and authority, but not biblical parental authority. And it really shows the kids who's important. Dad, that's, what, that's what's important. We all want happy children, but God wants us to have holy children. I want you to think about that. We must be motivated by what is best for them and not what makes them happy. That's a hard one. We need to be motivated by what's best for the kid and not what just makes them happy. Okay, number seven is give right discipline. We should never discipline in anger. Unfortunately, most of us probably have. And if we have, we need to confess it. And we need to ask our kids forgiveness. We need to remember this is a training opportunity in discipline. Kind of like what I shared the example of Hunter and Jacqueline not getting the spanking that they deserve. Um, but so often we're inconvenienced and we're put out by their disobedience. And it's hard to think of that as a training opportunity. Believe me, six kids running around crazy. It's hard to think of this as a training opportunity. And my wife was in the trenches. And I, you know, I, I'm the one that tried to keep reminding her, this is, it's okay, this is training. This is training. And then when I was in the trenches, she would have to remind me, this is training. This is training. 
When we discipline, we need to act out of what's best for the child, not what's best for me. Man, I can remember so many times coming home after a long day and I got to deal with this now. What's best for me is not to have to deal with this issue that my wife's having with the kid. Because I know it's going to be an hour or longer. Okay? But what's best for the kid? That's the way we need to discipline. Um, number, number eight, we need to, uh, an authentic parent earns respect. You got to, uh, or expect responsibility. Sorry, number eight. Expect responsibility. Um, you got to live it and expect it. Every year, we should expecting our, really our teenagers, okay? We should be expecting our teenagers to take on more and more responsibility for themselves. Okay? Remember, we're trying to turn this into this. And what's the goal? Once we have this, what are we going to do with it? Shoot it out. Right? And so if we're not if we're not expecting them to take more and more responsibility, they're not going to be prepared to be shot out. Okay? They're not going to be prepared to shot up, be shot out. The number nine. Um, Authentic parents earns respect. We shouldn't have to demand respect from our kids. Respect is a natural byproduct of living respectfully. Teens often feel justified in their disrespect because of some behavior in their parents they feel is irresponsible or not respectable. And I've talked to a lot of uh, young men who come to me, and I deal with a lot of homeschool kids too, that they just, they get to a point where they're becoming a man. Okay, and these, these like Hunter said, he thought everything I said was dumb. Okay. When I counsel teens, I, you know, it's always, hey, you have to obey the scripture. Scripture says to honor your father and mother. That, that means be respectful. Also says to obey them. They may be telling you something that doesn't make sense to you. And yet you this you have to be obedient to God. But then on the parent's side, we have to be li living in a way that's respectable. And if we're acting like a hypocrite, our kids see it. So we can we can ignore it and try to hide it. Or we can confess it and tell them, you know, I'm sorry, I messed up here. And that's hard to do at times. Well, anytime it's hard to do. A while back I was going through some old journals, trying to clean them up, and I found this entry from May 6, 2005. 2005, how old were you in 2005, I wonder? Junior, when, junior high. Junior high. Whew, terrible age. <laughs> terrible age. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Leaving for a golf trip to Arizona this morning. Last night I came home from work and had no patience. Stacy, my wife, was frustrated with her orderliness. 
and was complaining about the, the, the children not letting her rest. So I took over, in quotes. I took over. And by supper time, after church, must have been a Wednesday, um, I was mad. About what? I'm not sure. But at supper, I took it out on Garrett and Jacqueline. Both kind of headstrong kids anyway. But anyway, um, I took it out on Garrett and Jacqueline. Garrett's response was, response was Christ-like. He began to serve everyone. If something needed done or someone needed anything, he did it. After I raised my voice at Jacqueline because of her smarting off to Stacy, I realized I'd sinned. I told everyone to leave the kitchen and I would clean up. Garrett stayed in and kept serving. After we, Garrett and I, cleaned the kitchen, Stacy read to the family. I knew I had sinned. What I said may needed to be said, but how I said it was wrong. I also knew that I needed to apologize and ask the whole family to forgive me. After Stacy finished reading, I confessed to the whole family and asked for, for, for forgiveness. Anna was laying on the floor by me and was the first one to say, it's okay, Daddy. I love you. I mean, our kids are willing to forgive. We just need to be honest with them and admit when we make mistakes. Whoops. Whoops, whoops. Whoa, 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 whoa. There we go. There we go. What about rules? I often speak with parents who are afraid that too many rules will cause their child to rebel. Have you ever had fear that your child is going to rebel because of too many rules? I was there once. But, I mean, that would be a whole other testimony time and lesson time we're not going to talk about. But because of fear, I didn't parent the way I was supposed to parent. And I wasn't bold. I wasn't direct. I was kind of what you would call wishy-washy because I was trying to please people. So Kerry Schmidt in his book um, says this, the Passionate Parenting book. It's not rules themselves that are a problem. The rate, relationship or the lack of one is the real problem. I've never seen a teen rebel and walk away from God simply because of rules. It's often more about a parent in context of broken or, ne or a neglectful relationship trying to unreasonably enforce rules. Think of it this way. In a healthy relationship where the parent and teen are close, the rules take on an entirely different dynamic. In this case, the rules are not focused on control of behavior modification. The rules are not captors holding a teenage hostage. 
In a healthy relationship, the rules are protective boundaries or guardrails. Think about that. And again, the importance of your older kids knowing your weaknesses. They'll know your weaknesses because you're sharing them your guardrails in life, your boundaries that you have to set for yourself. Okay? Kids who rebel, even those who say it's about the rules, are really crying out that they never understood the rules, never had clarity on the benefit of the rules. So the authentic parent is the parent who genuinely lives like Jesus. They use this biblical authority idea of the life and power of Jesus through me to benefit those under my care. It's strong in truth and balanced in mercy. It's parenting in a way that leads the right direction, sets the right boundaries, and expresses the right care. So in closing, the question is, really is, have you been blowing it? And most of us probably have. Um, if you have teenagers, talk through these stuff with your teenagers. Explain that, you know, this is the type of parent I really want to be based on the Word of God. And you know what? I haven't been. But I want to start now. Okay? Um, so that's called humbling yourself before your children, admitting that you've blown it, and name the sin, ask your children to forgive you, and recommit to living more like a true authentic parent should live. So as I started off saying, parenting is hard work. Hard work. Okay? But when we take a quiver that has this and turn it into this, it's going to take a lot of work. Okay? But the goal is that through God's grace, we can get one of these, and when they get of age, we can shoot them out, and they can do even more for the Lord. Okay? So parenting is hard work. We need God's wisdom. We need to ask Him for it. But, hey, authentic grandparenting? That's kind of fun. Right? That's kind of fun. So there's, of course, Pike and Lincoln. You guys know him and them. And then that's the newest... Eleanor right there. So keep seeking the Lord and asking the Lord for his guidance as you parent your children. Thank you very much. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis.com at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.